This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast where we bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. Uh, my name's Noon, uh, and with me is my co-host. Hey, what's up, Zach the Snack? How you going, everybody? How you doing, Noon? Good. Well, you know, Zach, this is a very special episode for us. It is, in fact, it is episode sixty-nine. Nice. Hey, nice. Yeah, it did nice. occur to me that this show is somewhat akin to us engaging in a constant intellectual 69 of sorts. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes. And in <laughs> fact, the parasocial relationship that our listeners have developed with us is kind of like an emotional 69 where we give them podcasts and they give us heart reacts. <laughs> the occasional nice review. Yeah. The occasional five stars. Mm. Um, we also... And- um, yeah. Got past 69 patrons this week. We did, which we is didn't, amazing. We, we, blew past, we blew right past it. Um, um, as it were. Yeah. Uh, we, um, we were hoping to get to 75 soon because we've got this new uh, Patreon tier where we're going to give... Uh, we're going to do a bonus episode where we I read uh, Stuart Roberts' book about Jesus. And we're nearly there. We like got so many new patrons this week. So I want to say... Uh, Huge and massive thank you, huge and massive thank you to Luke and to Hannah and to Daisy and to Tilda and to Angie and to Tara, all of whom signed up on our Patreon, which is just fucking phenomenal. That is so lovely and all of you wanted to join in. So thank you so much. And also shout outs to Dan who increased their pledge um, up to 10 bucks. So they'll be getting uh, a tiny enamel toast pin in the mail soon. I think it's Ange, by the way, not Angie. Oh, sorry, Ange. Thanks. Cool. Um, um, so what are we going to do today, Noon? I mean, it is, after all, our 69th episode, so shouldn't we do something that we both really enjoy together? Fun and silly and personal <laughs> and intimate. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the budget. Hey, something that we both love. Yep. There's nothing I would rather do today than talk about the budget at great length. Mm-mm. It's and so have written exciting. about it for several hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully you listeners will also be excited uh, by the end of the show. Um, yeah, it's probably going to be a bit of a loose one. We're probably going to go back and forth a little bit because, like, a lot of the uh, items in the budget that we want to talk about are affected by other things or, like, kind of interlinked with other things. So, might be a mm. bit messy. But basically, our plan is to go through. We're still going to have our normal segments, um, and they'll be about different aspects of the budget. And for each one, our plan is to kind of do a pragmatic critique as if we were, say, members of the Greens Party or, like, other kind of lefties who want to participate in Australian democracy normally. Um, Someone who has been brought on to, exa- for example, the ABC to provide a slightly left-of-centre perspective. Exactly, yeah. So we're going to do that one, which is going to be our sort of, like, pragmatic left-of-centre, centrist response. And then we're also going to try and do, like, a radical-slash-anti-capitalist critique of all of these things as well, which might be a bit difficult because basically it's going to be like, we should burn down the country. 
uh, and hand it back to yeah capital. It, it might get a bit repetitive saying capitalism is bad. Yeah, uh, but uh, all the time. we we thought it was worth doing anyway. So yeah, and the reason why I suggested this approach to noon is that so much of budget commentary really just takes as read and accepts as orthodoxy mm. the logic of capitalism. And it's only ever kind of critiqued in mainstream news uh, from that perspective. And mm. honestly, you can get that analysis a hundred other places and probably better than us. What we can offer is, I think, something that sort of uh, takes a step back and uh, looks at the system as a whole um, and critiques it from that perspective. Mm. So we kind of wanted to offer that as well. But at the same time, you know, it is important to look at the actual immediate day-to-day effects of these measures mm. because they are going to have a difference in people's lives, even if it does mean buying into the logic of capitalism in order to make those responses. So, yeah, yeah we're going to try and do a little bit of both, and um, <laughs> we'll, I guess we'll see how we go. Nice. Well, why don't we move into our first segment, Potluck, where you bring the snacks. And this is a potluck that I'm very excited to get from friend, confidant, and member of our Inner Sanctum, Lou, um, who is a very smart cookie, and only by bad luck and our um, not wanting to ultra-bro up this podcast is is not a co-host. <laughs> so really, really just bad luck there. But anyway, so we finally got Lou on the show um, for his two cents, so here it is. And uh, we're going to oh. play this up the top because this is, I, I think... This pretty much just lays it out um, in pretty simple terms, you know. In ter- it, it, he's he's really got the the budget's number on yep. this one. Um, so why don't we listen to that? Hi, my name's Lou. I'm a long-time listener of the show. I'm a big fan of Zach Lesnack. I'm not too sold on Noon. His extreme political views make me feel a bit uncomfortable. Anyway, I just wanted to rant about the mm. budget. The amount of money they're spending is com- is ridiculous. It's like a once in a generation spend. You can't drop this amount every electoral cycle. And it's just getting pissed away into the wind. We're spending it all on well-off taxpayers and it's a missed opportunity. It's a once in a generation spend and it's not doing anything that's going to benefit the country in the long term. Anyway, that's my rant. Do you have his um, postscript there? Let's hear part two. Just a quick postscript. This is exactly what happened during the Howard era with the mineral resources boon. We had a once in a lifetime windfall. And what did we spend it on? Tax cuts so people could buy fucking jacuzzis and jet skis. Yeah, that's fucking it. Um, and yeah, okay. Well, what, that as you say, that sets the scene pretty clearly. It's a huge spending budget that um, does very little any use. Uh, but when we get into yes. our entree, which is kind of the overview. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I popped in a little tweet here from Jeremy Poxon, who I'm sure most people are familiar with, who uh, formerly of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, he says, uh, ah, budget week, where our best and brightest commentators will refuse to talk about class or the rampant exploitation of the most disadvantaged by the elite and simply divide us into winners and losers like it's some apolitical chance game of lotto. Mm. Um, which <laughs> yep. I, I also wanted to put that up the top because I thought it was a, a very accurate description of the way this stuff gets discussed. Well, the thing about winners and losers dialogue, a discourse as well, is that like the winners win disproportionately to the losers losing. Like they, the like 
there's a very small number of very rich people who are winners. But then when Every you get it, get it in a newspaper, that's like as long of a column as the losers, which is like all women, all young people, you know, all disabled right. people. Well, it's like, it, I guess it's like the, they, the ABC might say that, like, for example, mining companies are winners out of this budget. And they might also say, you know who else are winners? People on the disability support pension because they're getting $500 one time. Right, That's totally. pretty different yeah, from yeah. permanent tax breaks yeah. for somebody who makes over $200,000 a year, for example. And the projections for the budget also uh, relying on a vaccine basically being completely available at some point next year. And there's also very other... A coronavirus vaccine. Yes, a coronavirus vaccine. Sorry, yes, I didn't realize that needed to be said, but yes, you're (laughs) right. Um, And other very optimistic assumptions about like unemployment rate and that sort of thing, tax Mm. receipts and so on. So it's likely that the actual like income that the government gets is going to be significantly lower than what they projected. I mean, this happens every year in every mid-year budget update as well anyway. So, like, this is hardly new. Um, mm. Like, when, when the government was trying to get to a zero deficit, they basically lied about all of this shit, being like, yeah, it's going to be great, and we'll be on uh, uh, positive. Yeah, so, anyway. And uh, this is an, uh, another optimistic... Um, claim in the budget. This is from the ABC. The budget expects all domestic borders except for Western Australia's will reopen by the end of the year. It expects Western Australia's borders to reopen in April, shortly after the state election there, which is, ooh, shade at the West Australian Labour government, the government's base, the the (laughs) Fed's basically being like, they're going to lose, and then the Libs will open the borders. So, yeah. (laughs) And the headline for the budget is that they're planning to spend nearly a trillion dollars, which... There's no reason why any of our listeners should have any idea what a trillion anything is, but it's a thousand billion dollars, which is just so much fucking money. And about a fifth of that money is being spent this year on the rest over the next four-ish years. It's going to be record debts. It's going to be record deficits by just a huge amount. Uh, This is the biggest budget ever in Australian history. Yeah. As Lewis said, it's a once in a generation, like, spending amount. But the headline is that it is otherwise exactly what you'd expect from a coalition budget in the sense of who the money is going to. Yeah, it's a completely Um, normal budget. It's just like 10 times bigger than normal. So if you hate listening to stuff about the budget and thinking about the budget because the budget's like super boring and stuff, that's kind of what you need to know. The government is getting into basically an unrepayable amount of debt and giving it to exactly the people that you'd expect them to give it to. Yeah. So, um... I'm not going to go into tax cuts a huge amount because they're pretty boring. They're pretty complicated. There's there's $50 billion worth of income tax cuts, mostly to the ultra-wealthy. And we basically knew about all of this already from last year's budget. It's now coming into effect. So there's no actually new legislation about these budget cuts. Uh, sorry, uh, income cuts, income tax cuts. But yeah, these are the same ones that the coalition brought to the election. It was basically the only policy that the coalition... Yep took to the last election, but they, they've, got in, yeah. this budget has brought them forward. Yes, that's right. They've hurried some of them along slightly, basically by yeah. one year. Um, and there's no new changes to company tax rates, but there are other handouts for business, which we'll talk about shortly. And, you know, some tax cuts are being carried forward. Some are being backdated. And you, listener, should hire an accountant. We are not accountants, so don't take any kind of tax advice from us. Um but yeah, I, I just wanted to give a brief kind of example of what, how disproportionately these tax cuts are helping the wealthy. And I just plugged this into the ABC income calculator. I thought thematically I would put in $69,000 as a kind of like, you know, 
reasonably good median wage. Um, and so this year they're saying it's, it's closer to the average wage than the it median. Is. But it, yeah, sorry, average. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but like you know, it's not minimum wage, which is what a lot of people have been comparing. Okay, and so then um, for the higher income one, I tried six hundred ninety thousand. So that's the same, but ten times. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, just really, it's, um, I'm looking at the screenshots and it's making me giggle. It says 69 there, several times, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah. The, this person on over half a million dollars gets uh, 5,000 over the next two years and then just under 12,000 in the year after that. So that's like a, just a ridiculously huge amount more than, like, Somebody this earning 10% year, of their income. The 2.5K rebate for someone very wealthy will be more than someone on 69,000 gets over the next four years. So that's super cooked. Um, and as far as the critiques go, the pragmatic one is that the tax cuts are a terrible way to stimulate the economy. You know, that's what this budget is aimed at, is stimulating the economy and the post-corona collapse, whatever. Tax cuts are a terrible way to do it because they're structural spends, which are, you know, the sort that the liberals always complain about labor doing, except the la- labor is spending it on useful shit like the NDIS and the NBN. Um, so these structural spends mean that you have to keep spending money on it every year, and it will mm. ruin the budget into the future. Um, they're, they're basically permanent tax cuts. Exactly. The yes. way they're being described. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And mm. another reason that tax cuts are terrible is that people with not much money spend way more of any money that they get. So it's a way more efficient way to stimulate the economy to give money to poor people rather than the wealthy. And mm, because... Yeah, but what are they going to spend it on noon? Oh, just like Gambling, medicine, alcohol, food, rent. Just oh, yeah. okay. poor people bullshit hmm. like that. Yeah. Well, when you put it like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so... <laughs> poor people shit like eating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the wealthy just <laughs> eat tax credits, as I understand We all know it. that they just get direct intravenous injections of poor people's blood. Yeah. They didn't yeah. need to... You know, that's already set up. They've got the infrastructure. Yeah. And of course, you don't... Like, to benefit from tax cuts, you have to be working and earning more than the tax threshold. Uh, so it's like excluding a whole bunch of people from this access. It's also not exactly money in your pocket. It's less money out of your pocket next year. So it's yeah. not really a stimulus in the same way that, like, giving money to people on welfare would be. No, just do redo your budget for the year and you can spend a couple hundred more dollars over the course of the year because you'll yep. get it back at tax time. Yep. Yeah. Um, and look, the other pragmatic point that I feel like will probably come up again and again is that this budget really shows that the government could have spent this much money any time that they wanted to. Uh, they could yeah. have spent it to cli- fix the climate crisis. They could have spent it to fix the domestic violence crisis. They could have spent it to do literally anything that might have improved the country at any point in the last several decades, but they decided not to. Yeah, I, I think this is an interesting... Uh, I don't actually know if we've got this anywhere else in the notes, and maybe this is the time to touch on it, that like one of the very obvious criticisms to make of the government over this budget is that they have basically built their political reputation on being strong economic managers and beating the ALP any time that they propose spending money on anything yep. by saying that, you, you know, this is going to be a debt and deficit disaster. Yep. That was the line t- coined by the Abbott government uh, under which Morrison was the treasurer, of course. Um, and now it's just like, Oh, we're in a situation where it doesn't, where it's not helpful for us to run that political line anymore. We can literally throw out our entire economic like orthodoxy, ideal and ideology. We, yeah, right. We and we could have chucked it out at any time in order to spend an obscene amount of money 
but they're not doing anything fucking useful with it. It's just outrageous. Yeah. And look, here's my radical critique, is um, that the purpose of capital is to accumulate more capital. That's what makes it different from other kinds of wealth. That's why, like, kings back in the day had, like, gold plates, but they didn't own factories. Um, And what makes something capital is that it's money that earns more money. And this budget just facilitates that immensely. Um, All it does is funnel wealth into the pockets of the already wealthy and out of the hands of the poor and needy and like it's not only the tax cuts here which uh, these are income tax cuts not business tax cuts so in that sense it's for the wealthy individuals not for the businesses but it's still capital self-accumulating and they have one of the big spends that the government is doing here is a business write-off so um, i think you're going to talk about that shortly zach but like that it's not very exciting but basically businesses get money back and that is just another example of capital accumulating more capital and that being facilitated by the, the budget and all of the conversations about like, oh, these structural spends or, oh, we need a, we should be giving more money to the bottom end or whatever. They ignore the fundamental issue of how profit is created, which is from extracting labor value from workers. And the whole idea of like giving working Australians more of their own money back, which is something the government is talking about, like why tax cuts are so important because it gives workers their money back. It's so silly when you think that the whole basis of the economy is not paying people the full value of their labor. Like, it's just like, it's literally impossible that a tax rebate would make up for that. Um, yeah, it was like what we were saying last week, that no demand for a pay rise that equals anything less than 100% of a company's profits could ever be considered unreasonable yeah. because all those profits are <laughs> exactly. stolen l- wages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's very kind of like circular and uh, I don't know. It's all just a big charade, yeah. really. Something Marx often talked about is that capitalism creates its own rationality or that any economic system creates its own mm. rational behavior. And so it is rational for people to vote for tax cuts for themselves or whatever. Like it makes perfect sense or to decide to sell their labor for wages. That is the rational thing to do when that's your only option. Within this Within this system. And then once the system changes, that's no longer obvious or or rational behavior. So anyway, I think that's worth pointing out when we try and have this dual mindset. Yeah, for sure. And uh, on that, I guess I I do think it's interesting to think about how this like completely unprecedented spending spree and massive unrepayable debt is going to influence the way that governments and people in general start to think about yeah you know, economics longer term it's been a lot um, of because i didn't of think MMT. that yeah i mean i think that the yeah totally uh there's definitely mmt rumbling rumblings happening on twitter for sure um but i think also the government has basically permanently banned itself from ever asking anybody ever again how are you going to pay for that they you uh, just you're not allowed to say that anymore have not. I have heard them do that this week since the yeah, budget Yeah, Angus came out. Taylor is, or, is yeah. already like trying to hit Labour. How, yeah, yeah, how are you going to pay for this green? Ed- well, how the fuck do you think they're going to pay for it? The same way that you just you spent did. $1 trillion, dollars, bro. Okay. <laughs> yeah. anyway. Let's move on to our next segment. Let's move on. Hey, man, I got some more beers. Oh, uh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on. We're having another round of Coronas. So, as you said, Noon, uh, this is a budget basically directly aimed at trying to yank Australia out of the depression or recession caused by the coronavirus crisis. In the words of uh, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, in his budget speech, he says that this budget is, quote, 
the Morrison government's economic recovery plan to steer Australia through this crisis and build for the future. So as you sort of have already touched on, a couple of the big ticket items there for business are this new, they're, they're basically you can write off the value of any new assets that you buy for the next two years. And there's also this slightly complicated uh, tax break called, which they're calling carry back losses, which basically just means that it's a tax, tax break for businesses that have been profitable over the last two or three years. Those two measures together are going to cost over $30 billion, which is a large chunk of the amount that the government is spending this year. Yeah. Um, but uh, the main thing that Frydenberg and the government were really hitting on is jobs in this budget. Um, again, from his budget speech, Mr. Speaker, there is no economic recovery without a jobs recovery. There is no budget recovery without a jobs recovery. Mm -hmm. he, he paused a lot in his speech. Um, but so to that it's end, kind the of very first... To those of us listening yeah. to it. <laughs> <laughs> to that end, the very... Yeah, well, I listened to a few quotes and I was going to like insert a couple and I was like, every time I hear his voice, I just reflexively yell, shut the fuck up. Yeah. So I didn't think it would be very helpful. Yeah. Um, uh, listener, you can yell at me instead. Um, but so, jobs, jobs, jobs. The very first thing that uh, Frydenberg said in his pointed out in his budget speech and the top thing that the government is speaking from this budget is job maker you know and it it's so <laughs> you know I, I think that basically every joke possible has already yeah. been made about the fact that you know it's job this and job that it's still funny though it's still very <laughs> funny and that they keep doing it even after everyone's made fun of them for it so much it's like it's, uh. it's amazing it's also so, more confusing than they realize i think but that's fine yeah it is, it is because job maker is replacing job keeper, but not um, job seeker. But not job seeker makes perfect sense. And I don't know what's happened to home builder. But, no, yeah, um, I don't think the government does either. <laughs> but so job keeper, which is the payment that the government introduced uh, at the beginning of the crisis, which went to employers. It was a seven hundred and fifty dollar a week payment for employers. Uh, to keep people on the books, uh, even if they weren't working the same amount of hours that they were prior to the crisis. That is ending in March and is getting replaced with JobMaker. Um, JobKeeper has been slowly being cut over the last uh, few months and is scheduled to be cut even further before it, is, yeah. before it ends completely in March next year. So JobMaker is going to be $200 per week to employers for new employees that they hire who are under 35 years old. So it's significantly less money for significantly less people. Yeah. And in fact, the payment goes down to uh, $100 a week if you're between 30 and 35. Right. Um, so, and, and those employees, like in order to qualify for JobMaker, have to have been getting JobKeeper or Youth Allowance or some similar payment over the last couple of months. Right. So this, you know, it's a mechanism to try and basically get people off other government payments and into a job. That yep. is the yep. theory behind this mechanism. Um, the conditions are that the employees have to work an average of 20 hours a week, but unlike JobKeeper, which had to be given in full to employees, regardless of the amount of hours they worked, with JobMaker, the employer can... <laughs> I've, I've really written half of this sentence in the notes, but I do know it. Um, with JobMaker, the employer pockets that entire credit and they just have to pay employees for the number of hours worked. Right. Um, 
So if we're going going to critique this from like a you know a pragmatic perspective, the most apparent problem with the plan, aside from the fact that the job keeper cutoff date is going to leave a huge amount of yeah. people without an income, some without a job, is that there's an incentive here for businesses to create insecure part-time jobs. So it's going to be financially beneficial to them to hire two workers for 20 hours a week each and claim that subsidy twice sure. instead of hiring one full-time worker, for example. Yep, that makes sense. Now, there is a safeguard in the budget which is supposed to prevent businesses from firing a full-time worker uh-huh. and replacing them with two job maker hires, for example. Yep. But there are definitely ways around that and there yep. have been complaints from um, the ACTU around that, for example. Mm. Um, the age restriction is another thing that uh, Labor has been hitting on, for example. Um, they've been saying that there's almost a million unemployed people who mm. will be ineligible because they're uh, not the right age for the and scheme. I- I'm going to talk about this a bit later on, uh, but the largest demographic of welfare recipients is women over the age of 45, and um, they will not be eligible for this payment. Ex- yeah, Exactly. Uh, and it's probably also worth pointing out that even if you work a uh, 20-hour week at the minimum wage, which is just under 20 bucks nationally, um, if you're not under 18, in which case it's less, mm-hmm. um, but you can work that much and still technically be eligible for JobSeeker. Like, yep. the, even the government acknowledges that that is not enough to live on. And I'm pretty sure that if you had a job service provider, they would be like, yeah, you, you need to make more money. <laughs> Otherwise, we're still going to hassle you to look for another job. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So. You know, which is so that's pretty silly, and yeah, I mean, I think it's just important to remember uh, to look at this mechanism, look at the kind of jobs it's going to be creating, look mm. at the you mm. know what kind of hours that people will be getting, what quality of work people are going to be getting, and yep. when the government says that they're creating fifty thousand jobs with this budget, which is a line that they've harped on on and on about, you know, we need to remember exactly what kind of jobs they're talking about. Yep, they're part-time so insecure workers for young people with. No other options. That's the kind of jobs yeah. we're going to be getting. Yeah. Yeah. That might, may not even be anywhere near enough to live on. No. So from a kind of broader, like, anti-capitalist perspective, um, you know, Frydenberg's line is there is no budget recovery without a jobs recovery. That's the position of the government. Um, and I just think that that's basically complete bullshit. We, mm. societally speaking, have more than enough wealth to give everybody what they need without yep. forcing them to go to a job every week in order to prove that they are worthy of being alive. Um, and also this idea that like the budget recovery or an economic recovery somehow exists independently of the people that constitute that economy, like that mm. there's a, a good... Like that, that having a, a a better economy or whatever is a good unto itself in a way beyond just its effects on the people, mm. and like it's so silly and it requires this like weird mystification of money and finance that becomes this like magical superhuman entity that we need to like pay obeisance to or whatever. Yeah, it absolutely. Just, like, well, misses it's, the it's fact this the idea point of... is for people to ha- live good lives. Sure, and I think you've you've described basically this like worship of the concept of the free market right mm. that's like in, it, it's a natural law unto itself and yeah. the laws must be obeyed even though the government has basically just completely broken those laws with this budget yep um according to their own logic <laughs> mm. um 
And yeah, I mean, just back on the the idea of jobs and needing to get people into jobs in order to get the economy going mm. again. I mean, we've as we've discussed before, if you wanted to do a true Keynesian uh, stimulus, then you give that money to the poorest people yes. who actually are going to go out and spend it. You don't give it to businesses or rich people. But that's less of a uh, that's more of a pragmatic um, critique. Yeah. Uh, Critique uh, just on on jobs, and I think this ties into what we're talking about. With what kind of jobs are people going to be getting under mm. JobMaker? I've been uh, listening to a little bit of this academic called David Graeber, who wrote a book called Bullshit Jobs, um, which is exactly what it sounds like. But he describes the phenomenon of people basically having these positions where they collect a salary but do basically nothing else. They do nothing mm. of worth. They feel like their job contributes nothing to society and they understand that and i you know i i've worked several bullshit jobs in my time i know a lot of people who work bullshit jobs and there's something so kind of soul crushing about working a bullshit job waking up every day and being fully aware that you are going to do something that you don't give a fuck about and And that that no one else gives a fuck about no one else gives a fuck about purely for P- purely to kind of prove your to right some... to go to sleep again that night or whatever, or like have a house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, aside from the idea that only those who can work are worthy of support is yeah. ableist as fuck to begin with. But yeah. as I say, it's like this, uh, yeah, it's, it's this totally kind of, it requires you to just squish down everything that you want to be in order to make yourself fit into these, constructed positions that ultimately achieve nothing uh and uh yeah anyway that that, that's what job maker put me in mind of Mm. i looked at that and i thought this is just going to create a fucking shitload of bullshit jobs yep yeah well i don't know i think maybe lou was wrong it was you who has the uh uncomfortably radical views it sounds like some hippie bullshit zach um because you know i actually love this budget and that's why it's time for positivity no, I mean this is uh, this is a classic snack pod. It's actually a negativity corner. Um, so hey. yeah, I mean I don't think that's going to surprise anyone in this particular week. But anyway, there, no. there there are definitely some things that I'm at least mildly supportive of in this budget, um, and I'm going to list Whoa them there. all right now because there's that few of them. <laughs> uh, there's 250 million for recycling and a ban on all recycling exports. Uh, a similar amount for national parks, $67 million for ocean and mangrove protection, $350 million for regional tourism, and $2 billion for dams, weirs, and other water infrastructure. And, Love those dams and weirs. Oh, uh, got to have $2 billion worth of them. Yep. And, At uh, least. The mental health care plans doubled to 20 sessions a year instead of 10. That's now being permanent and will be available to all Australians, not just Victorians. Uh, which I know you're going to talk about that in a bit, Zach. But um, I just wanted to include in this positivity corner because it is. Um, but the downside is that basically most of these have already been announced and it's not actually new budget stuff. Um, this is just the government recycling plans they've already had, like the recycling thing. Sorry, I used recycling both metaphorically and literally there <laughs> they are re-announcing their recycling plan um and i read an interview with someone who's like a recycling ceo it was like yeah this is um i mean it's still good but we've known about this for months so yeah i don't know why you're interviewing me about it now basically um and also like the export ban is redundant 
because China has already stopped buying all of our recycling exports anyway, so we can't export it. So it's uh, it, it reminded me of um, in Rick and Morty when like um, Jerry shakes his own hand when he comes out of the like <laughs> duplicator thing and and um, is it hmm, yes yeah uh, very self congratulatory <laughs> nonsense. Um, and the the big negativity corner here really is that there's literally nothing for climate except new colon gas mines and like this recycling stuff is cool but it's not really gonna solve the climate emergency and there's so much i love that, that it's we... like there's nothing for climate except new colon gas i mean that's that's only it's that for climate it up, in really. the way that it's for destroying the climate yes um <laughs> but and that's that was the other reason why i i wanted to do this format of where we like we talk about what the, the what's in the budget and responding to those things but that just lets the government completely dictate the terms of this discussion, right? And that's what you see happening across the yes, media. Yes. And the fact that there's nothing in the budget to address climate change at all means yep. that it's not really being discussed. You, yep. And what can you say about it other than, like, it's they, not there. they've shut down that avenue of discussion, right? All you can say is there's nothing there for it. Yep. Um, but they have announced five they're opening up five new gas bases well that's why i think it's important to frame that as being something for climate right because like that is actually their climate policy that's they are doing something for the climate they are ruining it as hard and fast as they can yeah yeah there's so much good shit we could be spending money on to deal with the climate emergency we could be retrofitting houses we could build a domestic car manufacturing industry which hmm didn't we used to have one of those but whatever uh vast fields of hemp as i described last week and there's just fucking nothing for it and i would love to give a pragmatic analysis of all of this except the whole positivity corner has been pragmatic because these are the few tiny little chunks of goodness in the shit sunday that is this budget um and yeah one point that i'd like to make is yeah it's great that we're spending 67 million dollars on ocean rivers lakes and mangroves we're spending the same amount on school chaplains so like i can't be that happy about it you know and my more radical position is if you've kind of already touched on this but like we're never going to deal with the climate crisis or any of our other extremely severe environmental catastrophes that we're currently living through while our economy is based on like mandatory consumption of bullshit goods um we had a meeting this week, Zach, and you were playing with a fidget spinner. And I'm not anti-fidget spinner, but, like, there is no reason that they are manufactured in the same mass degree that they are. And, like... Actually, no, there is. They were developed by uh, an no, Israeli person in order to distract Palestinian kids. And give them something to do so they wouldn't join Hamas. That is a true story. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyway, a couple I, I minutes to process that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I I thought you were going to say it's for like uh, sensory processing, and I'm like, yeah, it's it's useful for people to have fidget devices, but they don't need to be like in the billions and billions. But we've already gone way off field, and I need to integrate this new information <laughs> about Israel Palestine. Stop so. fidgeting and spin back into the notes here. <laughs> Why don't we move on to our next story, Zach? Okay, cool. So I, I wanted to talk about now uh, what is in the budget for First Nations people. Um, and it's a little bit like what we've like been climate. discussing with climate. Yeah, it's like, you know, what's very conspicuously not there. Mm. Um, but there were two mentions of Indigenous people in Frydenberg's budget speech. One was uh, some <laughs> education funding through the Klontarf Foundation 
and something that they're calling the Indigenous Home Ownership Program. So I thought it'd be, uh, you know, useful to look into those a little bit. So overall, the budget is allocating $46.5 million to Indigenous community control organizations in order to meet closing the gap targets. Uh Um, And that is basically a pathetic amount that is nowhere near enough. The National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Service says that that amount, quote, illustrates the lack of government commitment to closing the gap. Yep. I've also got a quote here from Sophie Trevitt, who's the executive officer at Change the Record, which is a national Indigenous-led justice coalition. She said, quote, We know that key drivers of people into police and prison cells are poverty, homelessness, unemployment, mental illness, family violence, and trauma. If the government is serious about closing the gap, then they must back up the closing the gap targets with adequate resources and properly fund social services and community-controlled solutions. Otherwise, otherwise, the so-called pandemic recovery will leave large sections of our community behind. Yeah. And that's basically a pretty unsurprising follow-up to uh, our brief discussion of closing the gap that we had a few episodes ago when they announced the new targets and the new framework. Totally. Like, and this could be good if they do any of it. But um, the, presumably they won't. And now and it looks like now they here aren't. We are. Yeah. But so, okay, a total of $46.5 million for closing the gap targets. They also announced in this budget an extra $39 million, almost the same amount, to the Clontarf Foundation, who uh-huh. is the, which is the government's favorite organization to give money to when it comes to First Nations people at the moment. Morrison shouted them out early in the year as a community organization that has done a lot with very little. Uh-huh. And they also got this special uh, name check in Frydenberg's budget speech. The thing is that they're not a community organization. They're not controlled mm. or owned by indigenous people. And uh, indigenous X did a thread earlier in the year um, investigating this when uh, Scott Morrison uh, shouted them out. Um, And uh, I'll link that Twitter thread in the show notes because uh, it's interesting just to show how they kind of got that information through publicly available documents. Cool. Um, But so Clontarf basically is a sports development program that specifically supports boys. Uh, I've got a quote here from Lee Shepard, who is a Jirubar woman who is a PhD student at the University of Queensland, and she spent years studying sports development programs. She says, quote, They use sport to hook our mob back into school who are disengaged or on the verge of disengaging from school, but they're not actually an education program. Sure. She goes on to say, Clontarf get funding through every state government. They get funding from corporations. They are the largest and most well-funded sports development program in Australia. Um, so I'm not necessarily suggesting that Clontarf don't do some good work. Anecdotally, they've had a positive effect on some kids for sure. sure. But they're already extremely well funded, like to the tune of several dozens of million dollars already. Yeah. And they are competing for funding with indigenous run organizations. Um I think that the, this funding going to Clontarf is basically just a demonstration of the fact that the government still just doesn't trust Indigenous people to look after themselves. Yeah. They're always more comfortable giving money and resources to white people who have put themselves in charge of helping First Nations mm. people, uh, just like Twiggy Forrest, who is a self-appointed saviour of Australia's First Nations population. Which actually brings me to my next point, and this is one I haven't seen a lot of discussion on. I think it kind of got snuck by. Um, but Twiggy Forrest was the person who basically was the architect of the Indu cashless welfare card. That's right. Yeah. Which uh, we've discussed previously on the show, and so I've a huge Twiggy, amount of time. 
Yeah. Um, don't have a huge amount of time to get it, get into it here, but basically the card quarantines people's Centrelink payments so that they can only spend their money in certain places. You know, the government says that it's aimed at stopping people from spending uh, their welfare money on like alcohol or gambling or whatever. Um, but the card is fucked. It doesn't work as the government intended. And in fact, it's, it just makes life really hard for the people who are on it. Yep. Uh, and 75% of the people on the card are indigenous. It's currently being trialed for about 10,000 Centrelink recipients. And under this new budget, some of those people who are currently on a trial of the card could be moved onto it permanently. Far out. I didn't hear about that. Right. It's cooked. Neither did I until I was looking into it last mm. night. 25,000 people who receive welfare in the Northern Territory and Cape York are going to be moved onto the card under Fucking the budget. Hell. And But the budget doesn't say how much it's going to cost to make the scheme permanent because the government is still negotiating with the companies who provide the cards. So it doesn't. Even, they haven't even put a figure on that yet. That's very dodgy. But yeah, as you mentioned, Noon, this one seems to have kind of snuck under the radar a little bit. I've only seen one uh, AAP report on it. So right. uh, I thought that one was me- was worth mentioning. Totally. Um, uh, and the other thing that Frydenberg mentioned in his speech was this indigenous home ownership program. So that is, uh, it turns out, $150 million to fund 360 home loans for indigenous people. 360? Three, six, zero. That's, wow, just making such a big difference to the lives of so many people. I mean, that's why it's uh, a top-line item in the budget. That's why Uh Frydenberg specifically mentioned it in his speech. Um, Got a quote here from the chair of Homelessness Australia called Jenny Smith. She says, The failure to invest in social housing growth in the 2020 budget follows a 10% cut to housing and homelessness funding over the three years from 2017 Mm. to 21, most of which has been cut from remote Indigenous housing. The 2020 budget includes a one-off payment to Queensland for remote Indigenous housing. It also includes funding for remote housing in the Northern Territory. But even with these short-term funds, annual funding for housing in remote Indigenous communities is $237.2 million, less than half the amount of $526.6 million dollars spent in 2017-18. Yeah. So, and this is what I was saying before about, like, the budget means that the government gets to totally dictate the terms of the conversation, Mm, right? mm. They don't mention the fact that they're slashing and have been slashing social housing specifically for remote Indigenous communities over the past few years. But the one thing that they do mention is that we're spending a pocket change on... Uh, a couple hundred new homes, and that is the thing that ends up in the like summary new cycle, of the... whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, from a pragmatic perspective, we've sort of already covered that. Basically, that you know, funding is going to non-indigenous run organizations. That the government is using the welfare system to continually punish indigenous people, mm. and the government has been cutting vital services like housing whilst claiming to superficially be in support of it. Um, but, you know, stepping back and from a maybe slightly more uh, radical perspective, I guess, is, I mean, just in a general sense, something feels really wrong to me about discussing the way that the government is allocating funding for Indigenous mm. people. I mean, that's fucking stolen wealth. That's wealth that is rooted in the dispossession of First Nations peoples. And the um, idea of the government making the decision as well is like, it's a colonial government that invaded the land and they're like oh 
we'll give you one look how, house. Look, yeah, exactly. Look how well we're doing. We're we're allocating this money for housing. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I think from that perspective, this discussion feels perverse or even problematic to have on one level. Like, you know, I mean, sure. saying that, oh, they should have spent more on this or more or, or, or that kind of in initiative for indigenous mm. people is, is kind of tacitly buying into the logic that the government has any right to make that decision in the first place. Yeah. And it's even worse when you're literally talking about housing. I mean, we're talking about how little the government is willing to spend to give indigenous people housing on their own land, stolen totally. land. And of course, like we know that the people who lived here before the invasion had fucking housing, right? Like, yep. They they were doing all right. And, like, now there's all these fucking laws, like, you can't build a temporary hut on public land or whatever. Like, like any kind of housing that we're giving is we, I mean, like, the colonial settler state is inevitably uh, piddly bullshit compared to the, you know, the greatest state on earth that was this land before we invaded. Anyway. Yeah. yeah no doubt. Um, so yeah, and I guess just the final point there probably to make is that a budget can never deliver anything approaching justice for indigenous people. It can't give land back. It can't recognize sovereignty. It is the work of colonialist mm. structures, so it can only ever reinforce that structure. Yeah. Now it's time for... Shit post of the week. I think it's been a little while since we've had a shit post of the week. No, we've had a couple of good OC weeks from yeah, people in the Yeah, been trying to give it to actual memes. Yeah, and this is technically an actual meme, but it's it's a, it's a, it's a real shit post. Um, everyone's favourite lol cow, Liberal MP Andrew Leeming, has I'm humiliated sorry. himself in public once again. Lol yeah. cow? Are you not a very big ContraPoints fan, Zach? Um, a lol cow. Uh, someone who you enjoy laughing at their public humiliation. Okay. And, and specifically, it kind of has a connotation of, like, um, you, like, farm them for lols, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Andrew Leeming, uh, you may recall, he was the guy who embarrassed himself on The Simpsons Against Liberal page on, like, at a 12-hour shitposting binge where he talked about mashing lefties. Um, oh, and he's done a bunch of other... Time humiliating shit since then that we've covered at every opportunity uh, and he's once again embarrassed himself on a national stage he shared an anti-liberal party meme that the labor party had made on his facebook um and this meme is of scott morrison smiling smugly it was it was made by labor by the way and in front of him is this like diagram of the uh federal government net debt between 2009 and 2021 and um like quotes from the liberal party and the first four years were all labor and there's these tiny little boxes and they're labeled unbearable crippling exorbitant addicted and then there's like six years of increasing spending under the liberals and then this one for this year is 677 billion dollars it's, it's massive and the quote from scott morrison here is manageable like, did i explain that all right it's kind of a confusing image yeah, it's, there's basically a graph of government spending going up. The first half of it is labor, and it's got all these negative quotes attached to it from the liberals. And the second half of it is liberal spending, which is way bigger. And they're saying, but this spending is manageable. Right. And so everyone laughed at Andrew Leeming for sharing a meme that's dunking on his own party and calling them out for their hypocrisy. Um, and look, to be fair to Andrew Leeming, which 
why would I do that? But anyway, in the text with his post, I think he's actually responding to the meme. And what he says is, while Labour say that they, quote, kept us safe by blowing up thousands of jobs and sending unemployment to 7.5%, here's their killer line in Canberra. So which Aussie didn't deserve their job keeper and job seeker payment? Right? And so I think he's making an almost kind of fair point that Labour is saying the Liberals are spending too much this year on this huge budget. And if that is the case, then which Aussie didn't deserve their JobKeeper and JobSeeker payment? Like, it's kind of a fair enough response, right? Yeah, this is why the Labour Party should never engage in debt and deficit exactly. the, uh, attacks with the Liberal Party because it right. inevitably you, fucking backfires. You can't outflank them to the right. And you also especially can't outflank them to the right while trying to fund services so yeah but but the issue is that uh, that that's not really the point that the meme is making andrew laming has carefully misinterpreted this the point of the (laughs) meme is that the liberals are filthy hypocrites uh and that's undeniable and laming's outrage at labor really confirms that because like he and his government have spent the last however fucking many years being like no people don't deserve their welfare payments we hate disabled people and labor is now being like well, that's a bit hypocritical. And he's like, oh, so now you think people shouldn't get welfare? And it's like, <laughs> okay, so yeah, the, the hypocrisy on top of the hypocrisy really makes this a deep, complex, fruity shit post with yeah. oak notes. One, <laughs> the, yeah, the liberal shitlords are just the worst. Like, yep. they're, they're, you know, and like Tim Smith down here in Victoria. Tim just, Wilson. Tim Wilson. No, Tim Wilson's the federal one. Tim Smith is the cannot fucking keep them separate. Well, they're all just yeah, exactly. They're all yeah, exactly. They're a whole bunch of pickle boys who can't meme to save their lives. Um. All right. Speaking of which, you fucked up. Kind of. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, this could have just uh, been the the sting for, for every segment. Yeah, and it maybe is a little bit of a stretch. Um, <laughs> to call this one a fuck up, yeah, yeah, but we, we, we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what's in the budget for people who rely on government support on a day to day basis, and the you know connection there is that the government has fucked up by completely neglecting the most vulnerable people in our society and those who could most act, who would actually be most directly positively affected by something like yes. a little bit more funding allocation from a budget. But okay, so basically the only new direct support announced in the budget uh, for people on welfare is two $250 payments for people on a number of different welfare payments, but the big ones being uh, the age pension and the disability support pension. So oh, these are the thank same God. People... We have banana bread. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel about this $250 payment. <sighs> yeah. Um, a cool 500 bucks. Uh less than 25% of what someone who earns uh, over $200,000 is going to save in tax cuts, but whatever. Yep, yep. Um, and you know, so these people getting this payment are the same ones who were left off the increase to the job seeker payment earlier this year uh, and instead got a couple of one-off payments to help them through the corona crisis. Yeah. Um, uh, as you mentioned, Noon, one of the other things announced was doubling the uh, mental health plans up to 20 sessions from 10. Uh, and I actually think that's pretty big because, like, although 20 sessions isn't enough to, like, deal with complex mental illness, it is a huge amount more than 10. Um, yes. And, like, it it will make a huge amount of difference to a lot of people's lives to have those yeah. extra sessions. 
it's slightly less than one a fortnight as opposed to slightly less than one a month. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, which, yeah, seeing a psych once every five, six weeks, like they've forgotten who you are in that time. <laughs> um, the other thing that was announced is some new uh, home care packages for uh, older people. So that's, you know, basically funding to get somebody to come and look after you in your home as opposed sure. to going to an aged care facility. $1.6 billion in new funding for 23,000 new packages was announced cool. for that. Um, there was no mention of social housing, but there has instead been announced $1 billion of low-cost finance loans for people who want to build new houses for themselves. Because um, we already do And that? Uh, the other thing that's sort of... Cons- J- I mean, like, wasn't that homemaker we and we didn't fucking it. spend any of that? Yeah, yeah, excellent point, Noon. Um, and the other thing that's kind of conspicuously missing is any mention of Job Seeker. So that is still scheduled to go down to $40 a day. Morrison has said previously that the government is likely going to raise it, but it's pretty yeah. fucking troubling that it's not in the budget, which is where they literally say mm-hmm. how they're going to spend their money. Apparently, this decision is going to be announced sometime after the budget. They're still looking at market forces and whatever the fuck. And it it just wouldn't surprise me at all if this massive deficit that they've racked up is going to be used as a justification for not raising the payment or only raising it by a very small amount. Yeah. So anyway, and and so far, the only guarantee that we have that they're going to raise it at all is Scott Morrison's word. And, um, you know, forgive me if I'm not super convinced. No, totally. Yeah, and you sort of touched on this, but it's kind of disgusting and insulting to not include it in this budget. It's just like going out of their way to say fuck you to people on welfare. And also, like, again, this is a pragmatic critique, not a structural one or whatever, but, like, it makes such a big difference to people to be able to plan shit in advance. And, like, accountants and service providers and so on as well as, like, welfare recipients. And the government refusing to put these changes in ink now just means it's going to, like, fuck a bunch of, like, service providers who need to know how much money the welfare recipients are going to have and so on. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, really bad and extremely predictable stuff. Um, so I guess from, you know, like a a pragmatic perspective, there's when you're talking about like the government wanting to stimulate the economy by putting more cash in people's pockets. And we've Mm. already talked about the tax cuts and that's the method through which they've decided to try and, and give citizens money as opposed to welfare. And the difference there is obviously what you've already talked about noon in, in the sense that you can, that, I mean, that like tax cuts go to only people who are working and who are therefore worthy. Uh, And also you cut off people who don't earn enough money to pay tax in the first place. So you make sure that it doesn't go to the poorest people. So it perfectly fits with the government's ideology as opposed to raising welfare, which would all be more economically effective, but is runs totally counter to their belief that people who are poor deserve to be so. Um, this is just you a can't small give them little thing for nothing. Otherwise, they'll get even more lazy. Yeah, uh, this is just like a small kind of like intellectual angle that I like to try and keep in mind when I'm thinking about tax cuts, which is that tax cuts are actually expenditure, and like when you have like a budget sheet, they're not they're in the in- incoming, but like less incoming funds mm. is the same as spending more, 
right? Like that's, yeah. that has the same effect in, in, in the end. And so the government likes to pretend that tax cuts are like them stepping away and like not taking an action and that they're like returning autonomy to the taxpayers of Australia or like, you know, that you should be deciding what to do with your money or whatever. But like, it's still the government deciding where that money goes. Um, but it's just in a way that they can pretend that they're no longer responsible for it. And so I think that, yeah, the, it, it's often important. It, it's useful to keep that in mind when trying to think about tax cuts versus welfare, or like tax cuts versus expenditure on other things. It's a different type of expenditure, and we should think of it in those terms. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, it's one that's more kind of palatable to like a conservative government who believes in like small government and hands off. And yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's more ideologically in line. Um, and the other thing I wanted to touch on here was the home care packages, yeah. which, okay, it's great, but there's two massive gaps here. First, there's an enormous waiting list for getting a package as it is. Sure. So even once you've been approved to uh, for a home care package, the waiting list is currently 77,000 people Whoa. long. It can take months and months to actually get the funding, uh, let alone the care. You know, mm. people have died on the waiting list. Um, and the other thing that this is kind of conspicuously, again, this is the government kind of trying to direct conversation away from the stuff they don't want to talk about. There's yeah. nothing in the budget for aged care facilities. In mm. other words, the system that the government knew was weak and was underprepared for the coronavirus crisis, and they did nothing to shore up anyway. You know, one of the things that um, advocates for the system have been asking for is mandatory staff-patient ratios. Yeah, yeah. Um, nothing, you know, no new funding, nothing along those lines has been announced at all. Instead, you get these home care packages, which people are likely not going to be able to access in any kind of timely fashion anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing here is the, uh, the, you know, the lack of funding for social housing, um, which is kind of starting to emerge as one of the major, like, progressive criticisms of the budget that i've seen yeah, that yeah. it's being framed as this like massive missed opportunity to simultaneously create a whole bunch of new sustainable environmental free housing whilst also creating jobs in you know construction, construction of those houses yeah. Yeah. instead the government has gone with this like private sector mechanism instead basically trying to encourage uh you know people who want to build a home to build one instead yeah um and uh, on the mental health stuff and stepping back to kind of maybe a more um, uh, structural anti-capitalist uh, perspective or whatever, um, uh, when, I, when I looked at that, you know, the, the doubling of the mental health plans, uh, it reminded me of one of the very first times that I uh, sort of made the connection between like people's material economic reality mm. uh, to mental health, which was mm. uh, a, I asked you, you'd just been to a psych session and I was, I asked you how it was and you were like, yeah, you know, it was okay. It was like, tell me everything that's making your life harder right now. Just don't mention capitalism. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time being like, huh, capitalism <laughs> does make life harder. It is bad for your <laughs> mental health. Um, but so, and as you say, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, we can acknowledge, and this is why we've got our pragmatic and our anti-capitalist yeah, responses. Yeah. We can look at the doubling of the mental health plans and say, that is going to make a difference to people day to day. But also, you know what would make a really big improvement to people's mental health? <laughs> is giving them what the fuck they need. Housing, yeah. food, whatever. Um, and yeah, so... And the, the the other kind of more structural thing that I wanted to touch on here in regards to the social housing stuff is that I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical of that logic um, of, you know, 
creating stimulus through creating more jobs because that's ultimately that's what you're suggesting here when you're saying build more housing is the you know or doing some kind yeah. of other green new deal type thing is the good and proper way to create economic stimulus you're still kind of accepting the premise that people can only get what they need if they have jobs there and you know i don't think that we should necessarily be fighting for the right of everybody to work or have a job we totally. should be fighting for the right of everybody to have, have well-being, to have yeah. <laughs> to have a life worth living, yeah. right? But a capitalist government can't promise that because you need the unemployed there uh, as as a stick to beat the poor with, and as you say, mm. as you've typed here in the notes, to keep inflation down. Yeah, and like that kind of really ties into that thing I said before about this way that like we pretend the budget and the economy are like these things independent of the humans that comprise it and like the idea that we need unemployed to keep inflation down is just like this sick uh turning away from reality and turning towards this like fantasy world of of finance that replaces Mm. humanity yeah 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 it's just it's just a statistic and you know ultimately it's for the greater good maybe you need a little bit you, you need some misery need to feed a little bit of misery into the capitalist machine in order to keep it functioning and oiled up hey if, that's just the price you got to pay it's what it's a five percent four percent six percent if people aren't depressed too much misery to the extent of severe mental illness how are we going to make them get a job zach no it's cool they can see a psych once every two and a half weeks hey that should sort yeah. it out yeah uh, i love budget week Let's move on to another lovely piece of Budget Week, which we're putting under Fashy Australia. Fashy Australia. Yeah, yeah I did sort of um, question yeah. Noon's... Because this, this, we're going to be talking about women, what's in the budget for women, and that has been one of the kind of big elements of the public discussion in the wake of the mm. budget. Mm. Um, and Noon put it under Fashy Australia, and I was like, is that... Can we justify that? And... I think we probably can. Yeah, we, I don't really. We're way over time already, but like, I, I don't want to go into a discussion about like the uh, incels versus white supremacist conflict about feminism in the far right movement. But maybe this could be a reactionary Oz this week, or like trad. Maybe that's closer Oz. to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I would Hillsong say that there, there is a, there is like a through line in fascism of believing that uh, women do have a place in uh, the economic order. It's just in the home. And yeah, having as many white babies as possible. Shirts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, and <laughs> you popped in the notes here, women use roads. And <laughs> this is because there's there's been fucking nothing in the this budget is the for best women. One. And and no. the government has, has been hassled about that ever since. And so they've been scrambling to be like, oh, yeah, but like all of these measures that we're doing affect people, and women are people, therefore these measures are good for women. Um, and like, yeah, one of the examples is women drive. But so Anne, the new, Anne Rustin new... specifically... <laughs> Yeah, she said. specifically said roads. And you've actually, uh, that's Amazing. a good point, actually. Anne Rustin, who's a liberal senator, I'm pretty sure, has been out in the media. And, and basically, the last three or four days, it's only been women um, and, like, the treasurer doing media appearances from the liberals because they need to, like, have women out there so that they can be like, this is fine. Because um, if, you know, a man is out there being like, women use roads, that kind of doesn't. It sounds worse. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty disgusting, and the government know they fucked up real bad. Um, and, uh, another point about not, this no, is... No, not that they fucked up in any kind of material way, 
that they fucked up because they're getting criticized. Oh, that's yes, how, yes, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah, which is why they're not dealing it with any material way. They're dealing with no, it by having women it, go and deliver PR their spin. Issue. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, the the whole issue of, like, women are people and the budget is for people, um, <laughs> which it's it's silly to say it like that, but that's literally what the, the that's, argument that's is. That's the argument. That is the argument. And you can't um, argue with that. Well, I that's think I can, cold, hard fact. <laughs> women, women are, are people. people. Um, maybe Scott Morrison was the feminist after all. Um, but, uh, uh, like, all of the measures that help people, quote-unquote, help people, actually help the wealthy. And women tend to be less wealthy than men. And so, for example, the tax cuts are going to disproportionately benefit men compared to women. And there's an estimate that for every $1 of tax cuts that women receive, men will get $2.28. So more than two and a bit times the the return for women. And, by the way, I just want to acknowledge um, I am talking about men and women, and so is Zach and... Um, I really specifically want to not exclude non-binary people from this conversation, but our government are fucked and don't believe in queerness. Um, so, and neither does our mainstream media. So, um, yeah, all of the analysis here is in terms of men and women. So I want to apologize yeah. and acknowledge that. No, it, I'm glad you acknowledge that. And it's another irritating feature of like having to respond to this massive thing that the yes. government has just dropped because you have to sort of discuss it on the terms that they've established yeah um and again it's like this thing of emission like what is there in the budget specifically for queer people or the lgbtq yeah. community at large bagel yeah yeah uh we also i was just looking at our listener stats today and we have a vastly woman-dominated listenership and a huge non-binary listenership, which is fucking sick. I reckon there's probably not many podcasts like that. So shout-outs to you, non-binary listener. Thank you for coming along. Um, but yeah, so back, back to the story. <laughs> um, we've been all the way throughout coronavirus talking about how the government is deliberately encouraging women to take up unpaid domestic labor instead of like paid non-domestic labor. Um, and just one example of this is about how they've undermined the childcare sector, which is both heavily dominated by women as employees and is also a really significant, uh, like, has a significant role in allowing women to get jobs that might otherwise those women would be taking care of children. Yeah. Um, and and one of the really big problems in the budget about the childcare, well, there's basically been nothing for childcare at all um, in the budget and that's something that uh anthony albanese and the labor party have been really critical about um but one of the really big problems is that the way government subsidies for childcare work is they taper off after a point and it makes it basically impossible for women even extremely well-off women to make a profit if they have childcare more than three days a week Mm. So it's almost impossible for a woman who is the primary carer of a child to earn a profit on her fourth or fifth day of work a week. Um, there is a, a tiny package for women in the budget, um, and this is a quote from Verve Super. It's unclear whose values are aligned to a budget that allocates more funding to a single road project than to supporting the economic security of Australian women. And here's another one. Out of the sorry, 500- no. I think you'll find about fifty percent of that, fifty-one percent of that road is going to be used by women. So. By women. Uh, it's a yeah. great point. Yeah. Um, out of the five hundred billion dollars allocated in this budget, the government made a mere $240 million commitment to women. This is 0.038% of the total budget. 
Uh, yep. And for every $1 million spent in childcare, it creates 10 jobs. For every $1 million spent in construction, it creates less than one job. Um, so again, if the government actually wanted to stimulate the economy, if they actually wanted to get people into employment, if they actually wanted women to go out and participate in the workforce, they would be doing something for childcare. But no, what they actually want is to force women into uh, unpaid domestic labor, and so they have done diddly squat. Um, and yeah, again, the the pragmatic approach here is it, it, the easiest way to critique the budget's approach to women is to point out what it's missing, which is childcare, domestic violence funding and, and responses and social housing, as you just discussed in our last yeah. section. Um, as I mentioned before, women over 35 are the largest demographic of job, uh, of, of job seeker recipients. Um, and I believe possibly also job keeper. I, I don't have that set here. Sorry. And they're going to be entirely excluded from the job maker scheme. There's no targeted spending whatsoever for women over 35 in this budget. Yep. And um, we were going to have a broken clock segment with Anthony Albanese because he did a budget reply speech that was not completely bad, but uh, it was not good enough to really to, to, to get its own broken clock. So I'll just discuss it now. Um, the Labour Party has promised to cap household payments for childcare at 10%, uh, which makes it a, basically a pseudo-nationalised industry, which is pretty fucking cool, right? So, like, the 90% of childcare for every Australian would be paid for by the government and maximum 10% would be paid for by the parents or the family. Yeah, credit where it's due, it's a good plan. That is a good plan, yeah. It's but even no, pretty radical. giving people free stuff, have, haven't you realised that if you give everybody free stuff, that you'll be giving rich people free stuff? Totally, yeah. I, I put this story in here and I, can't, I was probably going to skip it because we're low on time, but eh, we're already over time, fuck it. I was yeah. listening to Hamish MacDonald. Who's very we're already irritating. in a trillion dollars of time debt. debt. Pop another two hundred million on there. Yeah, why not? Um, Hamish McDonald, who's one of my less liked ABC journalists, was grilling a Labor senator, being like, "How could you even imagine spending tax money on childcare for households earning more than half a million dollars?" And the 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 Labor person was like, "We're trying to make it universal." Like, you know how we have universal healthcare and we don't make rich people pay extra for their healthcare? Yeah, it's because it's universal. And he was like, but how can you make, spend money on rich people? And it's like, dude, have you seen this fucking budget? Like, how are you getting mad at labor for spending money on people with kids that are earning a bunch of money? Like, also, if rich people want to spend more money on special rich people childcare for their kids, they'll find a way to do it. They're doing (laughs) it with medicine right now. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um... As far as a more radical critique of this goes, like, I don't know, I'm sure we could get into a whole thing about gender and sex and capitalism and surplus value and Engel's book about why he slept with his wife's sister and whatnot, but um, I, I don't think we really have space for that, but um, <laughs> Zach just has a very, like, slightly confused face right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, my slightly radical hot take here is that the very few bits of targeted spending that the government has managed to bring themselves to give to women are basically all capitalist girl boss bullshit. Um, and that's, you know, it's not to say I don't think more women should be in positions of power and blah, blah, blah. Like, there's the pragmatic approach. Yes, we need more women in positions of power and so on. But, like, yeah, there's there's uh, 50 million for girls doing entrepreneurship and business classes, money for job service providers, but specifically for parents, grants for women-founded startups, mentoring and advice for women entrepreneurs. These are all fine. I'm not actually against them, but 
they're all designed to make women start businesses and then exploit employees by paying them less than the full value of their wages. And like, yeah, fuck yeah, we want a woman to blow up these ancient caves for the sake of iron ore. Fuck yeah, girl boss. Yeah, anyway, I, I realize there's some there's a lot more nuance in that whole thing that we don't have time for. But please flame me for being a raging misogynist. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the broader point there is that uh, even if they're making some kind of concession to a, and like the concept of gender equality or some other kind of social justice issue mm. they couldn't actually give less of a fuck about, the government mm. still can't help themselves but do it in a way that totally reinforces the uh, their ideology and their existing economic structures. There's yep. no other way for them to do it. Can't do it. Um. All right, thanks for that, Noon. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's... Is that it? Our last story. All right. We do- um, yeah, the last thing that we were going to do was play uh, another potluck, which we got this week. And um, listeners, you might be familiar with the person who called in. It was former treasurer of Australia, Spooky Sue. Um, you know, that chihuahua that spilt chicken tikka masala on... Um, who Michaelia was it? Cash. Michaelia Cash. Yeah, I'm sure you yeah. all remember that series of incidents. Uh, Spooky Sue is also uh, co-host of Spooky Speaks. Yeah. Uh, her her podcast where she talks about her her experiences in in politics and parliament and and life. Yeah, as a Chihuahua. Uh, as a Chihuahua, it's great, yes. and you should definitely go and listen to it. Uh, and she sent us in a little pot potluck this week, so why don't we listen to that? Hello, this is uh, Spooky Sue. Um, Checking in to uh, one of my favorite podcasts, um, Ospol um, Snackers Pod. Um, I'd just like to say that I thought the, the budget was uh, pretty bullshit. Um, what's all this shit about chaplains? Um, when I was in school, I never had a chaplain. Uh, where was my chaplain? I, 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 I mean, if, if, you, if you're going to spend this money, much money on chaplains, can we have chaplains for adults? Um, I would love, I would love a chaplain right now. I need some advice. Um, for one thing, I don't know what healthcare provider to go with. Uh, Bupa, Better Health. Ah, they, they all seem terrible. If it, uh, if there's any chaplains out there, can you please get in touch? All right. Um, also, um, your pup dates? Yeah, pretty good, but you know, I'd like to hear it from the pups. Thanks, Spooky. That's uh, that's lovely. Uh, that's a fair and I just point. want to shout out both of our potluckers this week for keeping it under a minute. That is literally unheard of. So yeah. thank you both for following instructions. And if Which you is, listeners want to, that's s- what we can play both of them. That's right. That's why. Yeah. So if you listener have less than one minute of hot take, um, please record yourself talking on your phone. Email it to us at contact at ozpolsnackpod dot com and Ooh. your email address ozpolsnackpod dot com. Wait a minute. That's exciting. We yeah, we have a website. website. It's all right. Yeah. You don't have to go there. There's um, nothing on it yet. But there will be soon. No. But yes, yeah. <laughs> all right. Before we move on to our final segment, our pup date, where you hear what's going on with Bagel and Dante, our good little dog boys, uh, we are going to quickly blow through some business. So first off, we got a couple of new reviews that we wanted to shout out. This one is from Jess Gall, title, This podcast should be endorsed by the Australian government, Canberra. Five stars. Jess says, I'd love to see Dutton's government authorizing episode 67. Ospol Snackpot is truly 10 out of 10, though. 
I am a new listener and it has quickly become my Sunday Sunday morning highlight. Aww. The memes, stings, and hot takes add some extra spice to my life while also allowing me to digest the buffoonery of Australian politics. A lot of buffoonery, I like that term. Mm. Also, mm. seeing a genuinely left-wing pod- podcast with lots of lefty guests enter the Australian media hellscape <laughs> gives me a lot of hope. Aww, Thanks, Jess. That's very That's kind so nice. of you. Um, we love That's so being... detailed and thorough. Yeah. We love being one of a number of um, new Aussie left-wing podcasts that are popping up around the place. Um, It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, And here's another review that actually we got a a couple of weeks ago, but more than that, a couple of months ago, uh, but somehow I missed. And this one's from Gore Plus Gore, who also just signed up as a patron, so thank you. Gore Plus Uh, Plus? Sorry, Gore Plus Plus. I don't know. They had a little brain misfire there five stars <laughs> some of the best political commentary out there humorous well researched and as easy to listen to as butter dripping off a hot biscuit come for the political analysis stay for the salacious puns crunch crunch oh, thanks, thanks Gore. plus plus that's lovely um that was on some platform called pod chaser which i've literally never heard of before mm. um and i only found by getting like four pages deep in the google results for us snack pod yes i google so- us occasionally for fun what of it? The moral of the story here is, listeners, if you've sent us a review that we haven't read out, it's literally because we haven't seen it. So please, <laughs> like, message us, email us, contact at com or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and just be like, hey, I left you a review on a pod chaser. Some obscure Check it out. platform. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, now, before we move on, please make sure to go and give us a review if you haven't done that already. Follow yep. us on all the socials at OzPulseSnackPod on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. If you really like what we do, you can always head over to our Patreon and support us for as little as one US dollar a month, which will get you a monthly bonus episode, plus access to our Discord, plus a whole bunch of other cool stuff if you want to yeah. pay us a little bit more money. Um, it's been amazing having our, like we had a bumper week for Patreon this week. That was really cool. It's really incredible. We're getting, yeah, we're getting really close to our secret goal, which we'll tell you all about very soon, but our, um, actual public goals we're very close to as well. We are only two patrons away from, uh, the, the goal when noon is going to buy a copy of the minister of human services book about the Bible and we are going to do an episode reading it and talking shit about it because Noon has been just desperate for any excuse to talk about Bible shit on this podcast. Hell yeah. Um, so if that sounds like something you want, go over and sign up. And if we get 25 more beyond that, um, we have potentially misguidedly promised to release an extra long remix of our theme song, which I don't, really don't understand why people want. But I'll do it. I'll make it. I'm going to do um, a so mashup with and, some other classic Ozpol tracks, the, uh, the ABC theme by Pendulum, maybe get the Gillard misogyny speech in there. Yeah. Absolutely not. I believe in you, Zach. <laughs> uh, let me, I appreciate that, Noon. Um, all right. I think that's all the business. Hell yeah. Now it's time for Pup Day. Now it's time for a Pup Day. What, what's been going on with Dante, my dude? Uh, I didn't prepare anything. Um, right, I'll do mine. You can think about it. Yeah, okay, go. So, uh, first up, I wanted to shout out uh, my friend Tamsin, who I don't think listens to the show, but does listen to the pup dates. So, hi, Tamsin. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for stopping in. Um, uh, and she actually was like, if you wanted to send me some extra pup dates throughout the week, you can. So, I've sent her a couple of manual ones where I've had to sing the sting into my phone. And that, Anyway, 
That's fine. Um, but uh, earlier this week, we were walking down the street and there was a mattress that someone had like illegally dumped by the side of the road. And Bagel was like freaked out about it. He did that thing where the, they just like like put on the handbrake um, and just like, nope, I'm not moving forward. Mm. But that eventually I like coaxed him forward and he was like worried about it. He got it, put one paw on and was like, holy shit. And like jumped and bounced and whirled. And it was just like having a great time, like jumping on the trampoline, uh, on the mattress, like it was a trampoline. <laughs> he was just like, oh my God. But there was a dog coming and I was like, oh, come on, man, we got to go. We got to go. And that afternoon I was like, I'll go back. I'll let him play on the mattress again i'll take a video it'll be adorable and we went back and um he just was like uh oh, mattress huh i just like stood on it and looked at me like why are you making me be on this it was very <laughs> disappointing anyway yeah so that's that's what bagel's been up to this week <laughs> very cute i did think of something and maybe um we can publish this on the on the discord once it's created but um uh, my partner holly told me last night about a concept she had for an alignment chart for all of the dogs that we know. Um, Amazing. And uh, Dante is, of course, chaotic evil. Um, mm. And I think Bagel was chaotic chaotic good? or chaotic, No, because that was Linker. I think Bagel was chaotic neutral. That sounds um, about right to me. Yeah. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's uh, alternately a very good and a very bad boy, but mm. uh, always... Mm. On 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 the edge of chaos, yes. Um, Dante just permanently exists in the chaos realm. He does, and, yeah. And everything he touches becomes chaos. Um, he definitely like he looks in many ways like something out of a hell dimension. Like, um, <laughs> I mean, he's just all black with these piercing green eyes. I took yeah, this incredible yeah. photo of him uh, with Flash on the other day that just makes him look so much like a demon. <laughs> Demonic, um, yeah. Yeah, and him, <laughs> it's him just sitting directly on top of Holly, like she's lying on the couch, and he's just come over and sat on her like she's the floor, like he's sitting upright <laughs> on top of her, his full weight just like on her stomach, and then looking at the camera, and his eyes are totally like washed out by the flash, going like... <laughs> like it's like you managed to yeah. get a picture of a sleep hag or something. <laughs> it, it, that's exactly what it looks like. That's mm. exactly what it looks like. He's a demon sleep hag. Anyway, I love him very much. Um, <laughs> but he's definitely chaotic evil alignment. Um, all right. I think that's probably it for this week. Boy, nice. bumper one. It is, yeah. Hopefully it cuts down a little bit, but it's still going to be long. So thank you for sticking with us to the end, listeners. And yeah, um, we'll catch I you next week. I hope there was something in there, you know, that's helped you understand the budget at least a little bit. But um, it's an enormous fucking document. That's the other thing yeah. about it. You know, it's huge. Uh, we and didn't even journalists talk about are going to be like discovering shit. stuff in it for exactly, mm, mm. and people are going to be discovering stuff in the budget for weeks to come. There's going to be more yeah. news about it, so yeah, you know, this is a first impressions sort of thing. But as the length of the show goes to prove, like there's just so much in there to respond to. Yeah, but yeah, thanks for sticking with us, and uh, keep on snacking in the free world. Lights out, snack radio, turn that shit off. <laughs> <laughs>